the opening bell on Wall Street, symbolic of big money, trading, investing, high finance. Peter Dunn, or you may know him better as Pete the Planner, became fascinated with the stock market as a sixth grader at Guyon Creek Middle School in Indianapolis. 12-year-old Pete then? Well, he probably never dreamed that obsession with money and finances would turn into a 20-year career of helping people balance their books. I got to have you have a 90-day plan. I want you to put your income sources and pay dates, specifically your pay dates, over the next 90 days. And then I want you to put your fixed expenses over that same time frame. I also want you to put your variable expenses, your discretionary expenses, and I want you to see how long you stay positive. A self-proclaimed problem solver, business owner, author, comedian, radio host, television personality, speaker. He's a Hoosier financial guru who wears about as many hats as he has interesting stories to tell. Get to know Pete the Planner on this edition of the Business and Beyond podcast. Hello and welcome to the Business and Beyond podcast presented by PNC. I'm Gary Dick. In episode 79, a candid conversation with an Indianapolis born and bred guy who has a knack for managing money. Peter Dunn has used that nose for numbers to help many people across the country right the ship when it comes to their personal finances. He was born and raised in Indianapolis, graduated from Pike High School, and earned a degree from Hanover College, where he also played football. When Pete walked out of Hanover with his diploma, he already had his stockbroker's license. You started to see him on Indianapolis media outlets in the mid-2000s, offering advice to people on how to properly manage their money. He also became a financial go-to for national networks like Fox and CNN. In 2021, Pete launched his own company, Your Money Line, which takes a bit of a different approach on how to get the most bang for your buck. And it gives me a great deal of pleasure to welcome Pete the Planner, Peter Dunn, but better known as Pete the Planner, the pride of Pike High School. Peter, how are you? I'm good, Gary. This is like such a nice bookend to my career. My my <laughs> first media appearance uh, appearance was in January of 2006 on your show. Oh on my gosh. Show. I remember those early days. I didn't realize that was your first your first appearance. It was. I had more hair. I was more ready for television, so to speak, back then. Uh, but it's been quite the journey over the last 16 years uh, alongside of you. You know, so much we can talk about here. You are a financial author, a radio host, TV personality, speaker, comedian. What best describes Peter Dunn, Pete the Planner? Uh, problem solver. You know, my my uh, my dad was in the plumbing business and uh, he instilled the importance of problem solving with me very early. And as I have a 13-year-old and a 10-year-old now, I'm, I'm often trying to break down that the essence of everything we're really doing is problem solving. So uh, I think that's what I would want uh, in my eulogy, problem solver. I'll take it. I like it. You say your dad was in the plumbing business. You know, you, you think today... Is there a lack of problem solvers and, and people with 
skills with trade, you know, the ability to, to do things. I mean, it just seems like more and more we hear uh, that that is lacking in the, uh, in the economy today. Uh, possibly, right? I mean, the, the way I view it is that uh, it's okay to uh, commiserate a challenge in front of you. It's okay to, to get it, have it get in your feelings a little bit. But if you do it too much, you're just simply wasting time on what could be the solution. I don't want to draw a direct parallel to social media, but I think as so often we want to be heard, we want to file our grievances, it really does slow down the problem-solving process. Uh, and for us in the financial world, I view every person's situation as a story problem. There are all these weird elements to it. There is a solution. It may not be a fun solution, but it's, it's certainly a solution. And we, we've certainly tried to build our company in that regard. You know, I, I, as you describe that, I, I think of, of golf coaches uh, that, that uh, you know, give, give lessons. And you got some coaches who, who try to change every, you know, change every uh, student into their particular swing thought and, and style and all those kinds of things. Then you have the, what I think are the good ones that, that look at each individual golfer in a different way and, and tries to adapt their skills to, is that kind of what you're, you're doing? Absolutely. I mean, if you think about it, there's one piece of financial advice. It's spend less than you make. All right. Good night, everybody. See ya. Like, that's <laughs> it. And so what we've just learned is who raised you, their view on money, where you went to school, when that school ended, how much debt you emptied school with or ended school with. These, all these things shape a person. They, they shape their sensibility. I, I love this idea, Gary, that you get two people who work at the same company, who make the same amount of money, they're the same age, have the same family structure, and their financial lives are wildly different. And I love that. I don't know why that tickles me some 20 years later being in this business, but that, like, that to me is the epitome of, of what we do for a living, is to try to take a person's situation, no matter where they're at, without judgment, because that's a big part of this too, and to try to take them to the next step. Where, where did you get this? You have a passion, obviously, for financial wellness, financial literacy. Where, where did that come from? I think it would start, start in sixth grade at Guyon Creek Middle School. <laughs> wow. The old uh, stock market project, you get a, assigned a project and you had to pick stocks, you know, nothing like 12-year-olds picking stocks. I chose, of course, tobacco stocks, Philip Morris. And uh, very good. Yeah. I had had a classmate whose dad was a stockbroker. And through him, I actually ended up really buying tobacco stocks as a middle schooler. And I was fascinated by this idea that these things could grow and shrink and it changed your your view on money. So I, I was bit with the money bug probably when I was 12. And then I worked a lot as a teenager and invested a lot. And I day, day traded through college. Um, and so, yeah, I, I just, I love how money affects people. So you had your, your series sevens license as I did a little research, uh, Pete, you had your uh, stockbroker's license coming out of Hanover, right? Coming out of college. I did. And I, for the point of the record, this is important for, for people listening who just starting the business. I failed the exam. The first time I took it, I took it during finals week at Hanover. <laughs> uh, and then I failed and two weeks later I, I passed. Uh, but yes, uh, I, I, I dealt with money quite a bit in college as well. Hey, talk about, uh, your journey. Uh, you're the CEO, uh, of your money line. Uh, I know you got a lot going on there as the CEO of your own company, but, but you talk about being on the show in 2006, 
and how you have have transitioned over time, certainly leveraging media in in many ways uh, across the platform uh, and on a national stage. Talk about that that journey from from the early days to where you are today. Yeah, at first, Pete the Planner was a was a marketing gimmick. I mean, who uh-huh. who are we to kid here? Hey, by the way, wh- where'd you get who who gave you the Pete the Planner nickname? It's an absurd story, uh, which makes for nice fodder on a podcast. Um, I had an email address that was hands80 at AOL.com because I played college football and I was a receiver. And so, you know, hands80. And and I had a client say to me once, hey, that's really unprofessional. This is about 2004. They're like, you you sound like an elderly pervert. We don't know what hands80 means. And so I went home that night and I was like, uh, uh, Pete the Planner and SBCGlobal.net. And so I, I sent a friend an email. My friend happened to have had four-year-old triplets at the time. Oh. He said Pete the Planner out loud, and they would not stop saying it for about a week. And he was so annoyed. He's like, I think you're on to something here. <laughs> um, and so it sort of rolls off the tongue. That's the, that's the it is Pete good. the Planner brand. It is good. Okay. Well, go ahead. Talk about that journey because it has been, I think, as I have, have watched you continue to grow and evolve, uh, you've done a masterful job of of kind of doing what you like to do, but leveraging media and so many things to to make it happen. Yeah, I, I, again, at first, you know, the Pete the Planner brand marketing uh, mechanism, then it turned into this idea of how to differentiate empathy within the financial world. But to be honest, Gary, early on, it, it, there was a, a narcissism to this. I, I wanted to be considered one of the foremost experts alongside Susie Orman and Dave Ramsey. And I worked every day towards that goal of writing and, and being on TV and being on radio. And then as, as that started to happen, right? I mean, I'm starting to do a lot of national yeah. stuff. It became incredibly unimportant to me uh, to, to be that anymore. And what really was at the heart of this was helping more and more people with their financial lives. So at one point I was hiring employees to help me with my mission. And now as a CEO of a company with uh, uh, just under 30 employees, now what we're, what I'm really focused on is, is hiring really good people and getting roadblocks out of their way. So it's a lot less about me these days. Uh, and, and that has been a beautiful journey. What is your money line all about? Describe the company and, and uh, again, your mission. So if you ask a person why they think they'll be able to retire, most Americans would say, well, because I'll end up with a lot of money, right? They just have in their mind this idea that they've accumulated money and that will provide this retirement. And the reality is that's just not true. The reason most people will be able to retire is because they don't need a lot of money. They've they've created this lifestyle that is sustainable. And so what your money line does is that we facilitate those, you know, success areas through employers. We are an employee benefit. We solve financial problems for employees through their employers. And we, we do it for a number of reasons. Um, the great resignation, uh, the huge turnover, having trouble retaining and attracting talent can be solved by solving people's underlying financial wellness issues. And Gary, that one of the biggest challenges that employers have is that when a person is at retirement age, but doesn't retire, it not only hurts the employee, but it hurts the employer because then they can't properly take advantage of the employment cycle where you hire younger folks because other people have successfully retired. 
So instead of throwing money to people for buyouts, what, what we do is we get people on track to retirement so they can have that dignified retirement that they want. So most people would say this is financial planning, but it, it really isn't. It is financial problem solving because we're trying to fix a person's present and fix their past so there can be a future. Any other people doing it your way? I mean, the way you describe it, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, you know, and maybe a little different than the traditional uh, model. Anybody else out there doing what you're doing? There's a few financial wellness companies out there, um, but we definitely align with a lot of financial planners. Financial planners don't feel threatened by us because, again, their job's people's future. Our job is people's present and their past. If you if you think about the complexity of a financial life on a scale of one to ten, right? One being you get your first checking account which I did at 16 and a bank in Claremont, Indiana. Uh, and then on the other end of the scale is you're picking a hedge fund, right? Which hedge fund do you want to be in? Most Americans need help with one through seven. And a financial planner really does eight through 10. So your money line does one through seven. We, we, like, we do the dirty work. We do the, the scary stuff, the embarrassing stuff. And, and we love it. What did the pandemic do uh, when you, you look at, at, at individuals, investing, retirement. I mean, all those different things. The pandemic had such an impact across so many, so many areas. How about in the investing world and financial wellness? Well, from February 19th of 2020 to March 23rd, the S&P 500 fell 34%. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and typically, and, and we're in the midst of our own downturn now here in 2022, but typically when it falls that much, you can expect the, the market to recover over a 4.2 year period. So there was this idea that in March of 2020, that it wasn't going to be till May of 2024 that we were recovered. It only took 148 days, 148 days to recover. So, wow. Yeah. yeah. I, I think what it really did is it helped people understand what comfort and stability are. They're very different. Comfort is this self-evaluation of, yeah, we can afford our house payment or we get to go on nice vacations. Whereas stability is something that's quantifiable that says, hey, if it hits the fan, are we going to be okay for a while? And, and I think a lot of people, even deep into six-figure earners, had this rude awakening that maybe half your compensation is incentive comp. And maybe your company wasn't hitting its goals for 18 months, then your incentive comp gets cut, your pay gets cut in half. So Gary, we saw a lot of high-income earners struggle during those times. And so for us, it, it was really about teaching people how to be stable. Yeah. Any, you deal with so many uh, different kinds of people. Any uh, any interesting stories? I, I'm sure you, you do a lot of people as they look at retirement with unrealistic expectations. Any, any uh, interesting or funny stories you can share with us? Sure. No, I mean, I think the the beginning of, of changing my practice to fix these present and past problems began back in 2005. Um, I, I was uh, got a new client. They were one was a partner at a downtown law firm, and this person's spouse was also an attorney at a law firm downtown. I think collectively they made four to five hundred thousand dollars, which in 2005 in Central Indiana makes you a Rockefeller, right? And, uh, <laughs> I get in there and they were just a disaster, just a, just struggled. And we're spending $1,500 a month at a local pharmacy just to pick up random stuff on the way home. Not, not even <laughs> medical supplies, just, you know, soft drinks and whatnot. Yeah. And so they, they were a little bit of a mess. And, and I think that taught me more than anything 
is that no matter your income level, you can you can struggle from a behavior standpoint. You know, Gary, I'll tell you, there. I remember having lunch with a, another partner at a law firm. Apparently, I'm just throwing attorneys under the bus here today. Um, <laughs> who said the phrase that I will never forget, we're talking about his financial life. He said, I don't consider my situation that bad. I only have about $150,000 in credit card debt right now. <laughs> and it was it was the only, which was so shocking because later that afternoon, I had had coffee with an educator and that educator, young educator, she said, I'm freaking out. I have $750 of credit card debt. Ah, uh, yeah. Right? So there's uh -huh. this idea that you you know, you, you were so shaped by how you were raised when it comes to money and the relativity of an issue. I used to deal with professional athletes a lot. I did a lot of Colts players back when I was an investment advisor. That was certainly interesting. I know people love to talk about professional athletes and their money. I, I'll note this. It's a lot harder to deal with your money than you might think as a professional athlete because yeah. at the time, you know, Colts players were getting paid 17 weeks in a row, which was the, the regular season, of course. Um, and then they didn't get a paycheck for 35 weeks. And, and so you take anyone's pay, you give it to them 17 weeks in a row, and then you just turn that faucet off for 35 weeks. You're going to have some challenges. Yeah, I'll bet. I, I remember uh, ESPN, you may have seen it, did a, did a feature, did a special uh, on these. And it was really sad uh, in so many respects. Um, but all uh, many high-profile professional athletes who were at the top of their game financially uh, as well as athletically and lost it all. And, and they, they detailed all the various ways from family members and hangers-on, and you could go on down the list on how they lost all that money. People find it hard to believe, but actually probably when you get into it and you've seen it, it's maybe not that surprising sometimes. Yeah. Pay frequency really is a thing for people. Like it, it, it messes them up. If you get paid weekly, that's actually really hard to run your yeah. money that way. It's hard to achieve things. Uh, another note on that, Gary, is that no matter how famous a person is or, or how much money they make, even at that CEO level over the last 20 years, I, I've seen some things. I, I, I think a high income, a, a great title and a high, a big education doesn't mean you're going to be good with money. And so that certainly shaped my experience. I think the uh, the, the great part of, of my career that I've got to enjoy is by talking to thousands and thousands of people about their finances, I get to learn lessons based on what they're doing mm, to try to yeah. not make the same mistakes. Because my biggest fear in my entire career has to be the cobbler with holes in his shoes, right? And so mm -hmm. I've got to learn uh, a ton by other people's yeah. mistakes. What's it like to be CEO of your own company, a different vibe, if you will, because as you said, you wanted to be the next Dave Ramsey or Susie Orman or, or whatever the case might be. Now you're the CEO of a company, your money line, 30 employees, uh, which is not insignificant. What's that uh, <clears throat> process like? It's humbling. I can tell you that. <laughs> I, I, it is a, it's a new set of skills I'm learning. I'm really enjoying it. Um, I, I look, my job is to think two years out Whereas when I was a content producer and I was really into the media, you know, I was thinking that day. So I am problem solving on a different level now. We we sort of joked around here that we're trying to depeat our brand a little bit. <laughs> um, to be honest, we you know our our door we're at ninety third Meridian in our offices. It, our door used to say your money line and then Pete the Planner on the door. We have taken Pete the Planner off the door, Gary. So we have oh successfully come on, Pete. Dude, you know, I, I, my my biggest fear uh, from a career standpoint, other than, you know, uh, making some of the same mistakes that I've seen in front of me, 
I don't want to be Pete the planner at age 70 for some reason, right? Like, I don't know why. I just, I, I don't. I, it's got to end at some point, and I'd rather it end on my terms. Hey, we have a lot more with Pete the planner. I'm going to still call you Pete the planner, uh, at least for the time being. A lot more with uh, Pete the planner coming up. Uh, growing up in Indianapolis, he's an indie guy. Growing up in Pike Township, we'll talk about his exploits on the hardwood of the football field. We'll uh, get into a little bit of that and much more when the Business and Beyond podcast returns. Welcome back to the Business and Beyond podcast presented by PNC. My guest this week, Peter Dunn, Pete the Planner, financial author, radio host, TV personality, speaker, comedian. He's done it all and is doing it all uh, in so many ways. But uh, Pete, uh, this all started in India. You're an Indianapolis guy, right? Grew up in Pike Township. West Side, grew up a family from Speedway, went to Pike High School, a proud graduate of Pike High School. Uh, back in the mid-90s. A red devil. What was growing up like uh, for Peter Dunn? Well, to be very frank, um, I was born on third base, Gary, and I I, I had a a great upbringing. I I came from a a very um, comfortable family. And so I think as I, I look at what I'm doing now and what we're trying to do, I think it's important to acknowledge the advantage I had and the privilege I had growing up because for a long time, I was pretty well convinced that I had created whatever level of success that I had. But I'll be honest, going through Pike schools and having teachers tell you every day, you're going to succeed at whatever you do, it starts to add up. You start to Mm -hmm. believe it and it starts to matter. So I had a very normal Midwestern upbringing, for me at least, played sports. Yeah, I loved it. Yeah, I want to talk about the sports in a minute, but you bring up something that I think is important. And that's that's the importance of, of teachers, of mentors of people who support you uh, in the, especially in the early days. How, how important was that to you to hear a teacher, you know, give you that support, give you that encouragement on a regular basis? You know, this struck me at my kids' soccer game last year, th- this very topic. I was, I was watching the game and there was this kid on the other team that was pretty energetic, if you know what I mean. Like <laughs> pretty rough for doing right. some things, started lipping back to the ref. And for a second in my head, I thought, that's a bad kid. And then it hit me. There really can't be a bad kid. Like that kid probably didn't have all of the support and opportunities, didn't yeah. necessarily have teachers or parents in the, in his corner. And so um, at the time when you're, when you're a kid and you're sixth grade or you're eighth grade for that matter, you don't realize that people are pouring into you because you're very yeah. selfish at the time. But now I look back on it. I'm like, I don't think there was another outcome to my story because of how much people invested in it. Yeah. I, I can't put you on the spot on this, but any any mentors in particular that you reflect back on on teachers who who really, uh, as you reflect on it, had a, had an impact on your life? Oh, absolutely. Uh, the patron saint of high school economics, Cal Ewing at Pike High School, was 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 fantastic. Then my football coach, who was also my literature teacher. Now that's an, oh wow, that's, that's a combo. that's a combination, yeah. Not a social studies or math teacher, uh, English teacher. Uh, Larry Morwick was was really great there too. But then you know, as you know, mentorship into the 
the business world becomes really important. I've had some just brilliant mentors, people like you that, you know, 2006, 2007, I, I think I came knocking on your door. I'm like, can I steal 30 minutes of your time? I, media is interesting to me. And, you know, the good thing about Indiana is occasionally someone will say yes. And so, you know, people like you that show me the, the classy way to be a broadcaster, people like Charlie Morgan, former mm -hmm. head of programming at uh, Emmis. And uh, yeah, I, I feel fortunate to to have had people do that. Hey, let's talk. You, you said you uh, you were into sports uh, growing up. How important was uh, sports to you uh, out there in Pike Township? It was everything. I mean, when you go to yeah. your middle school kid, you go to the games and you watch these great teams. And my entire family went to uh, my, my parents and their siblings went to Speedway High School and a lot of them played D1 sports. My sister won the state diving championship. She was a scholarship diver at IU. So it was everything to me. Um, so I played basketball pike, played football, and then went to play Hanover College. I played football for a year there. Uh, so no, sports is it was a huge part of my childhood. And now with my kids, it's fun to coach my daughter's soccer team and uh and watch my son uh, excel as well. As you think about that sports experience, obviously it was fun and, you know, you were with your buds and all those kinds of things. But even all these years later, sports and the impact they have, I think, extend for many, many years beyond, you know, beyond when you actually play them. Is, was that your experience? It was, you know, and to some degree, living in a fraternity house was somewhat parallel to this. And yeah. I'm going to say something that sounds incredibly nasty that is not meant to be. But you learn to get along with people you don't like. Yeah, yeah. It, which sounds horrible, but you know what? The best Very true. that I've ever learned from my fraternity, which I don't particularly care that much about anymore, was the fact that there were people who I disagreed with everything, the way they did things, the way they talked, the way they carried themselves. And I had to get along with them because I was living with them. And I think on a basketball court or on a football field, I, I think that matters too. Uh, and as now as the, the head of an organization, you start to see some of the athletes that are within our organization or some of the people that had other extracurriculars and, and how that shaped how they're able to work with people today, which I think is invaluable. Any thoughts on, on the value of, of, of college education? You went to Hanover, one of the great private institutions. And man, here in Indiana, it's amazing from a public standpoint and a private standpoint, the number of top flight academic institutions that are here, but there's so much uh, attention, and I think rightfully so, placed on the cost of higher education and, and where it's gone uh, out the roof. Uh, and, and it has many people questioning the value of, of higher education. Do you do you join in that or do you have a perspective on the value of higher education given the cost uh, involved? Yeah, I mean, that you're right in our wheelhouse and we deal yeah. with that a lot around here. But I'll say it's terms of my education. I went to Hanover. I played football. Gary, it's a liberal arts school, but mm -hmm. I have to be completely honest. I didn't know until my junior year what a liberal arts education was. <laughs> and and that does no discredit to Hanover and their academic services. I just didn't get it. That being said, I mean, I'm in the financial world, but I'm a comedian. I have a, a media uh, career. I think that di diverse education that is a liberal arts education, it really, really shaped me. I mean, I'll, I'll write a USA Today column referencing Kierkegaard. Like, I, I, I feel incredibly fortunate to have gotten a business, a liberal arts degree with a, a business major. Uh, so I think there's some value to that. I, I also think it has to do with shaping a problem-solving mind. I think yeah. the college experience can be very intense. 
and dynamic. And I think how you're able to get your head around that has has led to some good outcomes for me at least. It, you, and you know, I don't know about you, but but I think, and I hear this from and have for years from CEOs, from HR people at companies who who talk about one of the biggest beefs they have with young uh, college graduates is their inability to communicate either in written form or, or verbally, just that lack of communication. And you hit on it. You got a business a focus in a liberal arts situation where you can communicate business and business concepts. And that's a, that's a pretty powerful combination. Communication ha- has really been at the heart of my career, of, of learning to write as I speak and learning to speak as I write. And I find the most effective communicators when you're reading their work, you can hear their voice. When you hear their voice, you can almost visualize it written out. And so, um, in essence, what do I do? I make uninteresting things interesting. Mm-hmm. That's what I do for yeah. a living. And yeah. Because there's nothing interesting about a financial life. None. <laughs> nothing at all. It's, it's terrible. And so, um, that's what I do. And I, I think as we hire young people, we just had someone start from DePaul a couple of weeks ago, her very right. first job. It was her ability to communicate that was so appealing to us. None of us can go back in time, but if you um, could do that and could give some advice to 18-year-old Pete the Planner as you were heading off to beautiful Hanover College, what 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 would that advice be to that young young lad? Oh man, I'm a no regrets sort of person. Yeah, I, I am too. Yeah, uh, but I, I would just note that. You know, I, I here's here's the secret of me. I, I did not start investing the way I should have with my work income until I was 28. So I'm still very angry at the 22 to 28 year old Pete the Planner, <laughs> uh, because if you, I've done the math, which is you shouldn't do. Right. My, my net worth would be twice what it is today had wow. I simply had that additional compounding period. And so I'm pretty frustrated about that. <laughs> Okay. How how about uh, how about your own kids? Uh, I, you know, do you give that? Do you start that? Have you started? I'm sure you probably have started that financial literacy, financial awareness train uh, in their minds. And and what would you recommend to to other parents out there who are of similar age? Yeah. So uh, so far, I feel like I've given pretty factual things about my life. So now I'm just going to transition and tell you I'm going to give you my opinion. Okay. I'm not a parenting expert. Yeah. Uh, but I'll note um, my daughter's 13 and loves earning her own money. She's soccer referees. She tries to find wow. jobs. Nice. She loves work. I think having a, a young person who loves to earn their own money is really important. I think it's mm-hmm. important. Now, does she spend 60% of it on makeup? Yes, yes, she does. <laughs> Do I love that? No, no, I don't. But I think it's this the mechanism of economics of their income and then their expenses and there can be savings, there can be charity. And, and it's hard with so many things going on in young people's lives today. If a person doesn't work until they get out of college or once they're in college, you've short-circuited in a bad way a really important part of the process I was working at my dad's plumbing shop from the time I was 14 and through college, and I loved it. I worked hard, and, and um, maybe I was a, a pain in the neck to the plumbers, but <laughs> I, I love that idea of earning my own money. And so I think for uh, young people, earning their own money is the way. Okay, what's next for Pete the Planner? You have a lot on your plate. Your money line, growing company, as you look out five years plus, what's, uh, what's your vision? 
uh, that we are the premier financial wellness provider in the nation. We're well on our way. We work with companies in every single state, employees in every single state, and um, a lot of large organizations. I'm not a logo name dropper, but we work with a lot of prominent organizations, both locally and nationally. I think ultimately, though, Gary, if, if I've gone from being really self-centered around this Pete the Planner brand and I've transitioned to I'm simply the CEO trying to develop other leaders, I'm actually quite anxious to know where the next four to five years takes me mentally because I've enjoyed less focus on me. And, and I want to know how much further that can go. Um, mm -hmm. That's appealing to me. Uh, and so I guess we'll see, right? We will definitely see you. We will be watching. Uh, Peter Dunn, Pete the Planner, uh, been a real treat to catch up with you. You're a good friend, a good guy. I've really gotten to, uh, enjoyed getting to know you over the years and uh, happy for your success and look forward to much more. I appreciate it, Gary, and I've always appreciated your uh, kindness that you've shared with me. All right, buddy. And thank you for joining us on this edition of the Business and Beyond podcast presented by PNC. It is a weekly conversation with achievers in business, sports, entertainment, and beyond. And you can download all of our episodes and get Indiana Business News 24-7. All you have to do is go to InsideIndianaBusiness.com. I'm Gary Dick. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.